This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. Happy New Year to you. And we start today with the B.C. Supreme Court ruling on public drug use. The court strikes down restrictions on where drug users may legally consume fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, crack cocaine, ecstasy, and crystal meth. Now, remember, other hard drugs also on the list. B.C. is the only province in Canada where it is legal to possess these drugs. Now the B.C. Supreme Court says you should be allowed to use them in public, too. Drug users were previously not allowed to use these drugs at sports fields, beaches, or parks within six meters of a building entrance or within 15 meters of a playground, skate park, or wading pool. The B.C. Supreme Court now blocking that law Public drug use is back on in B.C. I've got Brad West standing by to discuss. First, have a listen here to Caitlin Shane, lawyer with the Pivot Legal Society. She says allowing public drug use is the right thing to do. Have a listen. These are people who more often than not uh, don't have indoor places to use substances. When people are pushed to use drugs in isolation, that's when overdose deaths spike. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Brad, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Okay, give me your thoughts here on this. You've been very outspoken on this file. What do you think of this court ruling? I think the ruling is absurd, and it really demonstrates uh, just how out of touch with reality, unfortunately, many courts have become. Uh, This doesn't do the public any service at all. Uh, this restriction that the province brought in uh, w- provided just a modicum of protection. I mean, <laughs> this was no draconian restriction. Uh, you know, in fact, I thought it was too weak. This yeah. idea of well, oh, you, you can do all of this stuff at sixteen meters, but not fifteen meters. Yeah. I mean, so let's just remember that uh, the restriction itself, which the court has rejected, was itself, I thought, pretty watered down. And the fact that we can't even have that stand, I think, is incredibly concerning. And uh, basically, it takes us back to being the Wild West of public drug use, where it can happen anywhere and everywhere. And uh, I think the vast majority of the public rejects that. And they also reject this idea that if you think there needs to be some rules in place, that somehow you're not compassionate or you don't want people who are struggling with drug addicts Uh, drug addiction to get help. Uh, That's not the case either. People want to see our fellow residents, our fellow citizens get better. They want to see them get off drugs. They want to see them get into treatment, but they don't think it should just be, hey, whatever you want, it it goes. 
use fentanyl in the child's playground, go smoke up some uh, crack, uh, you know, on the kid's soccer field. Like it, it, it's just absurd <clears throat> in so many respects that that's the conversation that we're having. I'm taking I'm taking a look at the ruling from the B.C. Supreme Court Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson here, who says that using drugs alone, reading his words here, may be particularly dangerous due to the absence or a diminished degree of support in the event of an overdose. And you hear this a lot from people who support using these drugs in public, that if there if there is an overdose, you're better off to be have that happen in public so someone can help you rather than using drugs alone. Now, let me play a clip here for you, Brad, for your thoughts. Garth Mullins, Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, very high-profile advocate, and here he is making that point, then I'll get your thoughts. Let's listen. It seems to me uh, that the government of British Columbia is starting to back away from decriminalization just when it's starting to show some positive results, uh, which they don't talk about. I feel like they are writing a law that's not based on any evidence. Okay, your thoughts. Like, if you're using in public and you overdose, you'd be better off than overdosing alone. What do you think of that argument? Well, there's a couple things there. (laughs) First, when he says that the results are starting to show improvement, well, I'm sorry, but that's just completely BS. The results are showing that month over month, more people are dying than ever from drug overdose uh, in their own statistics that they keep and release. Uh, So we're not going in the right direction. You also only need to look at other jurisdictions around the world where they have gone full bore on this, like in Portland. And now they're reversing course. You know, you, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out where this leads us. You've seen it in other jurisdictions. It hasn't worked. And so they're starting to, to pull it back. With respect to using alone, yeah, you, there should be a whole spectrum of services that are available to, to people, uh, including, by the way, uh, uh, a facility like a modern-day Riverview that should be reopened where people can, can get help and support and treatment most of all. The other point about uh, the people who are dying uh, from overdose drug uh, overdoses and drugs, the vast majority of those people are people who are using in their home. They tend to be uh, males. Uh, they tend to be middle-aged, employed, uh, and you know these are not individuals who are ever going to come out and use drugs uh, in, in a child's playground. That's the you know the vast majority. Yeah. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. Um, so. To be able to get help the vast majority of people who are losing, you know, we need to have a, a suite of treatment options that are tailored and make sense to them. Um, this, uh, you know, doubling down on the approach that has already proven not to work in our own province, let alone in all these other jurisdictions, to me, uh, just does nothing for us. Um, and it also is creating a, a lot of harm in in communities i mean you talk about a drug like fentanyl i mean yeah. this isn't this is an evil deadly drug this is a drug that you come into contact with it you're a child you just come into contact with it and it can kill you or seriously harm you and the idea that we think that 
using a drug like that in an area that are supposed to be for children. I mean, my God, can't there be one place where kids can just be kids and not have to worry about this? I mean, what are you, it's ridiculous. What are you, I've, you know, over what, the holidays, have people... Mayor West, Mayor West, what are you hearing from uh, from law enforcement on this? Because I, I know that you talk to police a lot on this file. And police chiefs in B.C. had supported decriminalization of drug possession in our province. But I've also heard from police officers who said, look, we wanted some intervention tools to intervene if people are using near a park or are using near a kiddie pool uh, so we can intervene well, and maybe even get them help. But your thoughts? A hundred percent. Look, police were not this idea that, well, we had to deal with the stigma and we had to decriminalize because we don't want people being dealt with by courts or legal system. We want them being dealt with the healthcare system. Yes, I think a lot of people agree with that. Guess what? That's what was largely happening. No police officer was busting someone for a simple possession of, of drugs, a small amount. That, that wasn't happening and has not been happening in this province for a very long time. But what the police no longer have the power to do is have the legal authority to compel someone to move if they are doing crack or heroin or crystal meth or fentanyl in a child's playground or in the front doorstep of a local business or at a community rec center. They had the ability to do that before, say, you know, take the drugs from the individual to, or tell them they can't be here and actually okay. respond to it. I've heard directly from my local RCMP detachment that tell me because of the ruling that the court has made, they that that provincial legislation is no longer there. It is yeah. being held in abeyance until the end of March. And so they have no legal authority in which to deal with those situations. And so yeah. who does deal with those situations? Because they are going to come up. So it's left to what? The individual mom or dad to say, oh, excuse me, will you please not... Uh, uh, smoke crystal meth next to my kid while they're trying to play on the playground. All right, let's talk about one of the uh, biggest trends we've seen in Canadian workplaces last year. I think it's going to be even bigger and more disruptive in 2024, and that is artificial intelligence AI, especially AI programs like ChatGPT. And we've seen huge developments here. I've seen companies increasingly using AI programs like ChatGPT to replace actual human beings to do their jobs. We've seen, we've seen stories about companies that have laid off support staff to be replaced by AI programs. We even had, this is the one, this is the wildest one, I think. We even had a company in uh, Poland that unveiled a, a basically a, a robot CEO. This is an artificial intelligence CEO. The company is called Dictator. They are a, a beverage company in Poland. I've got Sunira Chaudhry standing by to discuss here. But first, have a listen to this here now. So this CEO of this Polish company, her name is Mika and she's artificially intelligent, basically a robot, they say, is the CEO of this company now. It's, it's creepy. I got to tell you, when you take a look at this online, it's kind of creepy. Let's have a listen to this AI CEO here. I'm Mika, the world's first experimental AI CEO at Dictador. My decision-making process relies on extensive data analysis and aligning with the company's strategic objectives. 
it's devoid of personal bias, ensuring unbiased and strategic choices that prioritize the organization's best interests. <laughs> okay, what do you think about that? You have a robot as your boss? All right, let's discuss it now with my guest, Sunira Chowdhury. Sunira is a principal lawyer and founder of Workly Law, worklylaw.com. Very pleased to welcome her to the show. Sunira, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks a lot for doing this. And uh, I read your excellent column on this recently on the AI trend in the workplace. And boy, when you read some of these stories, like this Polish company that's got an AI an artificially intelligent CEO. Is this real or is this a bit of a gimmick? I was watching this thing and I was like, hang on a second here. I think these guys are pulling my leg here. Is this a bit of a publicity stunt here? What do you think of it? I totally think this is a publicity stunt. I definitely yeah. <laughs> think this is a, a, it's it's a it's a good grab at global headlines. Hey, this is a company in Poland, and we're all the way over here in Canada chatting about Mika, right? I mean, it yeah, works. Yeah. Doing something crazy like this totally works. Whether or not the company really intends to have Mika um, in a leadership rank role is up for debate. And they do say that she has nothing to do with hiring and firing, but she does have some uh, responsibilities. I mean, let's just take that that interview you played as an example. She sure. gave an, uh, she, quote unquote, she gave an yeah. interview to Reuters magazine. Instead of having a human do it, instead of having an actual female CEO, you have a huge, you have an AI robot giving an interview to a global media outlet instead. And so there's a coziness here, right? With AI entering leadership. And I gotta I gotta say, even though it's a publicity stunt, what does it say to the other employees of this organization? Are they gonna have a real shot at having you know a great role within this organization, being a true leader, maybe being CEO one day? Well, even if it's just uh, for 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 publicity, even if it's just to get famous, I really think it is an indication of where some organizations might go, which is, is, is it cheaper to hire a robot than a million dollar CEO? Well, of course it is. Well, yeah, and I think you're bang on because I agree with you. This does seem like a very kind of a clever sort of publicity stunt, even though this company insists that this AI program or robot is actually making some decisions on how this company is run. But you know, it got a lot of attention, but you can't deny like artificial intelligence, chat GPT programs like that are huge, right? Like in the workplace, we're seeing more and more of it. How big of a story, like how disruptive was this in 2023? And do you think this could get actually a lot bigger? I think we're so to answer the first part of your question. Yeah. I write an employment column, you know, every week and I uh, am shocked. I'm shocked at how much I wrote about AI this year. Uh, I think it's the biggest trend of 2023 without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, the way we've seen AI disrupt the workplace, uh, there's a Goldman Sachs report that came out saying AI is going to replace 300 million jobs. That's just shy of the American population. This is a huge oh. story that we, we all as workers need to uh, 
pay attention to. But for 2024, uh, it, it's absolutely around the corner for most employers, even if employers think that they haven't been impacted by it yet. Because I think one thing we're going to really begin to see is just how much AI is already being used in the workplace. I think a lot of employees are already using ChatGPT AI to help them with things at work, write emails, do reports, et cetera, but they're not totally being transparent about it. And so employers are going to have to wrangle how AI is being used at work, even if they haven't introduced it. Employees are already using it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking to Sanira Chowdhury, Sanira is an employment lawyer, worklylaw.com. Here's another story that grabbed a lot of headlines, and I know you've written about this one, Sanira. This is a company in India. This is an e-commerce company. It's called Dukan, and the CEO there, a human CEO, I should stress, announced that they were using ChatGPT to run customer service at the company, and they laid off a lot of their support staff as a result. Let's have a listen to this report, then I'll get your thoughts. An Indian startup, Dukan, laid off 90% of its customer support staff after building an AI chatbot that can handle customer queries instantly. The chatbot is more effective at resolving customer issues, cutting the time taken by 98%. The CEO said that the job cuts were tough but necessary, and that he believed in a future where AI and humans work together. Okay, can you imagine if you worked for this company and you're told that you're being laid off because you're being replaced by a chatbot? That would be a pretty down day at work. Sanira, what do you think of this one? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I covered this uh, story about uh, Dukan because it was interesting that the CEO goes to Twitter probably doesn't think he's going to get a huge negative backlash. He did because he so happily said that he cut his company's support costs by 85%. I mean, the fact is a lot of organizations are turning to AI. They are dropping their labor costs. But I think those drops in labor costs is short-lived. The gains are short-lived only because to retain who you have left is going to be that much harder because of course if you as an as as a ceo as a business owner if you are turning to automation as your principal source of of supplying services well that's a race to the bottom i mean the, the barrier to to entry just doesn't exist i mean what what I think most business owners, how they're harnessing AI or harnessing technology is using it in ways uh, to ensure that they're not losing business. How do you do that? It's you, you use your human expertise and you use AI, you know, sort of combined to create a much more enhanced product. If you're just relying on AI alone, well, you're going to be really hard pressed to find skilled talent because everyone's going to think they're on the firing block, especially if you're doing huge, massive layoffs. And I think the other piece of it um, is that when you come, when you terminate 85% of your workforce, I don't think a lot of employers realize the liability around that. Terminations mm. can be expensive, especially for really long-term employees. So getting rid of um, huge swaths of your workforce um, all at the same time. The liability for employers is huge. It shouldn't be done in, in such a swift uh, way as we're seeing, as we've seen throughout uh, 2021, so, uh, 2023, sorry, the liabilities for employers. I think it, it it really warrants a second look before, you know, the, the culling um, that we've seen in 2023. I'm hoping yeah. we don't see that trend into 2024, but we probably will. 
How about chat GPT? I mean, we're talking about artificial intelligence. This is one of the biggest, most popular and recognized chatbot programs around chat GPT. We've talked a lot about this on the show in the past, whether students are using it to cheat at school or college or university. Some university professors now throwing their hands up and saying, look, if you can't beat them, join them. We might as well use chat GPT in the classroom here now, since it seems like every kid is using it. But in terms of um, the employment aspect of it, you did a really interesting article on chat GPT and how some companies would use a program like that to draw up an employment contract, like actually do contract law using an AI program. Tell me about that scenario. How did that work out? I know you tried it yourself, right? I tried it. Well, it's certainly not for my practice. I tried it out. Yeah. I tested it out for, for the column. Right. And I did that because I had a, a client come to me uh, and said, hey, can you review this employment agreement? I'm pretty sure ChatGPT drafted it. He was forced to sign it. His employer went to ChatGPT to to draft it rather than going to a lawyer. And I found significant holes in that contract. I mean, ChatGPT doesn't really understand a lot of the nuances um, in Canadian law, uh, as one would or should expect. But we've all been trained at this point to think ChatGPT is smarter than all of us, and ChatGPT won't get things wrong. But if you log into ChatGPT, if you don't have a profile, go ahead and make one because it's interesting. You get a lot of red flags right when you log in. It says a lot, it, it, it warns you right off the bat. It says some of the information. Um, uh, contained in ChatGPT may not be accurate. And a lot of ChatGPT um, uh, uh, output isn't uh, current, actually. It says uh, yeah. there's a disclaimer that it, it's actually not current beyond 2021. And so for the law in particular, well, a, a piece of technology being two or three years out of date is not going to catch all the nuance uh, in drafting a contract. So I actually asked ChatGPT to draft an employment agreement to see if it could do one correctly, uh, to just draft a simple employment agreement with a simple termination clause. I found a whole host of significant errors. It couldn't get the termination um entitlements correct it couldn't get non-competition or non-solicitation clauses drafted correctly in line with current canadian laws and this is hugely problematic because yeah. many employers are turning to the technology in turn instead of turning to experts that's going to create greater liability as long as uh, we continue to rely on chat gpt unchecked Okay, Sunil, last question for you as we look forward to 2024 here. And I agree with you. I think this is going to become an even a bigger story. So if someone sees this in their own workplace, maybe they feel like their hours have been cut back or they've even been laid off because they've been replaced by some AI programmer. What would be your advice to them or advice to employers for, for you that may be thinking about increased use of artificial intelligence instead of actually hiring human beings? What do you think of that trend? Well, I... Yeah. So for employees, I I I, I think as I said at the outset of the article, ChatGPT is not your lawyer. Don't use ChatGPT to replace uh, sound legal advice. You probably still need a living, breathing employment lawyer to help get you there. For employers, it's it's AI governance. A employers need to set the rules for how AI should be used in the workplace. Assume it's already there. You need a policy yeah. to help govern how employees can use it now rather than keeping your head in the sand thinking AI isn't already in your workplace. It's already there. Set the rules for how your employees are allowed to use it.
Sonera, thank you for coming on and talking to me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks a lot. Sonera Chowdhury there from Workly Law, worklylaw.com is her website. All right. We've talked a lot about chat GPT on the show before, especially the use by students at college, university, high school. I know we got a lot of teachers and college profs listening to this show. Phone me up right now, will you? And tell me, are your kids or your students using chat GPT to write assignments, to help them with their work? Are you okay with that? Should a kid be flunked or failed if they're using chat GPT to write uh, an essay? Phone me and let me know. 604 604- 280-9898 is the number to call me. Star 9898 on your cell. Have a listen to Terry Griffith from Simon Fraser University here. And she argues that, you know what, maybe chat GPT, it's so common now, it's getting even more common. Maybe we should just let kids use it and just work with it. Have a listen. I've described it as they now have an intern doing the work with them. So <laughs> The, the workload is up a little bit because now it's, you know, a couple of people doing the work and quality. I'm going to have higher expectations of quality, but the beauty is they can actually do more work that then they can turn around and use in their work and lives. Yeah, okay, so maybe we should just be using these programs anyway since it's so calm and chat GPT in the classroom. Let's talk about the polar bear swim yesterday in Vancouver, the New Year's Day tradition at English Bay. It's been going strong for over a century now. Thousands of people showed up once again yesterday for the polar plunge. I got some highlights here to play for you in a moment here. Now think about this now. Have you heard about the uh, cold water plunging movement, the cold plunge is this is this good for your health to submerge your body in ice cold water? Some people think so. And it's becoming more and more popular thing to get out in the morning and go for a cold water swim. Let's have a listen. I got Dr. Fami Farah standing by to discuss all this. First, let's have a listen to some of the highlights from yesterday's polar bear swim at English Bay. Have a listen. Cold plunging does it for us. It's my first New Year's in Vancouver, so I felt like it was just the Vancouver thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, okay, it's a Vancouver thing to do. But lots of people are doing the cold plunge for their health. Never mind just on New Year's Day. Some people think, okay, submerging your body in cold water is, is a great thing to do all year round. Now have a listen to this report. This is from Good Morning America. I'm here with Sam at the Flolo Holistic Center here in Midtown, New York, and they have a cold plunge. It is supposed to have all kinds of health benefits from relaxation to improving circulation. According to the Cleveland Clinic, cold plunges can ease sore muscles, may help you focus and sleep better, and can decrease inflammation. Okay, let's talk about this now with my guest, Dr. Fami Farah. Dr. Farah is a medical expert. She's a cardiologist based in Texas. Dr. Farah, thanks for coming on again. 
Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be back on your show. Yeah, for sure. Likewise, Happy New Year to you. Thanks for coming on on again. Now, do they have a polar bear swim in, in Texas? I suppose that's not a thing down there. <laughs> no, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, we don't have that here in Texas. Um, you know. <laughs> no, it's, it's very popular here, though. Now, what do you think about this idea, like this cold plunge therapy? Is this, is this a real thing? Is this actually good for your health? It does have several benefits, yes, and it has become quite popular nowadays, especially for those who are, you know, they are engaging in intense exercise or, you know, weightlifting and things like that. And post-exercise, using cold cold plunge can reduce inflammation in those sore muscles and can reduce soreness the next day. Okay, yeah, so we heard about inflammation is a good thing, that this can help for inflammation, we heard in that report. Are there any other benefits to plunging into cold water? Uh, There are, uh, like, for example, relaxation and improvement in in mood, um, because, you know, some short term studies have shown that it tends to increase two hormones. One of them is dopamine and dopamine is the feel, feel good hormone. And so it can temporarily, you know, increase in uh, alertness and motivation, help people focus better and just feel better in general. Uh, So yes, there's some uh, evidence of that. Okay. It sounds like it could be Maybe it's good for your mental health. Like I've talked to people who do the early morning frigid water swim and they say they swear by it. They say this is a great way to start the day, get invigorated, wake yourself up um, and and really start your day. Maybe maybe there's something to that. Do you think that maybe there's some mental health benefits there? It's, it appears to be so, and I, I and I do agree that there needs to be more larger scale studies done to say that yes, there's definite a proven benefit. But as of right now, based on the small scale studies that have been done and reported by people who are using these, uh, seems to have some benefits in the mood. Yeah. Are there any risks to doing it? Do you think? I mean, you're a cardiologist by by profession, but I wonder if maybe there are some downsides to it any kind of negative side effects to it, do you think? Uh, There certainly could be, you know, moderation is the key. And, you know, I think people, especially cardiac patients, for instance, who have defibrillators or devices in their hearts, I would not recommend them going into doing this without their doctor's advice. Um, You know, hypothermia is a concern. So, if uh, some you know for those who are wanting to do this they definitely need to read up on it know how to do it properly and not submerge themselves in excessively cold water for too long because hypothermia is definitely a concern especially during this time of the year you know i hear a lot of people going into the lakes and oceans to to do this in cold areas and that could be very dangerous very quickly Yeah, boy, I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, that could certainly be a a key concern for sure. Speaking of Dr. Fami Farah, we talked about the thousands of people at English Bay yesterday, the annual polar bear swim, lots of people getting into cold, plunging is a good thing to do for your health. Looking forward to the new year, Dr. Farah, as a cardiologist, what would you say is the number one tip you would have for people in preserving their health, making sure they're healthy, especially keeping a healthy heart in 2024? What would be at the top of your tip list there? My top two would be exercising and eating healthy. If you can maintain those two things, you're going to be better than majority of the population. 
Yeah, for sure. And as someone who is a big believer in that, I mean, probably people are hearing that saying, oh, no, don't tell me to exercise and eat better now. I was hoping there'd be something easier. But the benefits <laughs> of this are huge, though, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Like the benefits of regular exercise. You don't need to go out and train like an Olympic athlete. I mean, just even going out for a walk, right? Absolutely. Walking is yeah. one of the greatest forms of exercise for cardiac health. And, you know, to to make the point clear, um, 80% of heart disease is preventable just by doing mm. those two things, um, eating healthy and exercising. That's how important those two measures are. And even those who have pre-existing conditions or like, you know, risk factors like high blood pressure, by doing those two things, I have been able to get so many people off of their medications just because, uh, you know, it's, it's that beneficial. We can actually get you off of medications by just doing these two things. Yeah, that's great to hear. And in terms of improving diet, this is something that's on my to-do list as well. Like, what would you say are the main things that people should try to cut out? Is it sugar, fat, salt? Like, what's the worst one? It's all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> so fat, of course, is not good for you because the higher the fat, the higher cl cholesterol amounts. And that's what clogs up our arteries and can increase the risk of high cholesterol and uh, blockages in your heart. Same thing with sugar, you know, uh, that not good for people who are already diabetic. And even those who are not diabetic, it's not a good thing because you will become diabetic in time if you take enough sugar. Uh, salt is the other thing. Salt is actually not good at all because it increases high blood pressure and high blood pressure is, of course, one of the number one risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Uh, in addition to that, I will also add processed items. Anything that's mm. processed ha tends to have a lot of preservatives, a lot of sodium, just not that healthy for you. So cut that out as well as much as you can. Okay, some great advice, Dr. Farah. Thank you very much for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.